But we all rely on resources to live in the 21st century, don't we? Power to live in basic ways, electricity. When you got up this morning, you likely pulled your phone from an electrical outlet, was powered by that. Maybe you turned on your nightstand, or maybe you were thoughtful to your spouse and you didn't turn on your nightstand, you just walked in the restroom. You enjoyed air conditioning, electricity that provides air conditioning even in February. You walked into the bathroom, if you turned on hot water, maybe you have natural gas that flows into your hot water heater above you that heats the water. And then maybe you went to the kitchen, turned on the stovetop, made some eggs. I know everybody gets up early, you know, to do that on a Sunday morning. Maybe you use the gas in your house like once a year to turn on the fireplace. So we use electricity, we use natural gas. If you got in the car this morning and, and came here, you either you use oil and gas or some lithium batteries to get here, I got to say now, or a combination of a number of those things. You think about your body and what you need. You need food, you need water. All those things are natural resources that we use, that we have to tap into to exist and to live in the world that we live in, natural resources, but we often find out we take those resources for granted, don't we? When the Arctic storm comes or a hurricane comes and you try to turn on that tap water and it doesn't come out, you flip the switch and it's not working. If you live in Westwood, you just know, like, you got to have a generator. It goes out all the time. And you take for granted the flipping of a switch, um, the pulling of a refrigerator door, the push of a button, the turning of a key in your car. You take those things for granted when they don't work. How about the Christian life? What resources do we have available to us to tap into? What resources do we need? And more importantly, what's the power source? Maybe you think of resources of the Christian life, and maybe you think of the gathered church and worship. Maybe you think of community and other believers around you. Maybe you think of prayer. Maybe you think of the Word of God. Those are all resources that God gives us, but they're power. They have a source. And just like when you think of the source of electricity and the source of natural gas, and when those things get turned off, you realize that there's a source that's outside of you, that's outside of your house. And the reality is this, is that God is the one who provides these resources and empowers those resources by His Spirit. In the text we're in this morning, what you're going to see is the greatness of the immeasurable power of God in our lives. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're singing these songs about the power of God and you're listening to me talk about the power of God and you're like, oh, that scares me a little bit. We're going to talk about the power of God today. You know, I see these kind of crazy things about the power of God and we see people like seeking like an energy drink, just power, miracles, these kinds of things. And maybe on the other end, you're going, man, I don't feel God showing up in my life when it's hard. And maybe you don't even express those thoughts to anyone, but you're asking the question constantly, where's God in this? Where is his power to help me? 
Where is this power to change me, to change my circumstance, to meet me where I'm at, to help me in my health, in my marriage? Where's he at? Effectively, you're asking the question, where's the power of God? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll be in verses 15 through 23. If you need a Bible, there's one close to you, page 976. Words will be up here. Hope you have a Bible. Encourage you to bring a Bible. And I want to show you God's immeasurable power, the greatness of his power at work in your life, at work in my life. And I'm going to do that by showing you this prayer, the resource, one of the resources we have. It's a prayer that Paul prays for this church in Ephesus. And surely it's a prayer, and you ought to notice that it's a prayer of intercession, meaning it's a prayer that he's praying for this church. It's not a prayer for himself. It's a prayer for them. But in that prayer, you're going to see God at work. You're going to see Paul noticing that God has been at work in this church to grow them spiritually, to give them insight and illumination into God's word and God's truth. And then you're going to see, not just those resources, you're going to see the source. Where is the source of our power? Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Let me read it. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know the hope that he has called you, to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable, here it is, greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, where's the source, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you see the power of God at work? It's interesting when you turn really to the beginning of the book of Ephesians, we've already seen God's power at work. Where Paul introduces himself and says he was called by God, that God took him on Damascus Road, he was walking completely opposed to God, and turned his life around, and changed him, and you see the power of God in Paul's calling. You see it last week in an expression of praise, that God is so powerful in his love, he set that love on you before time began. Figure that one out. For eternity past, that he has loved you, that he's elected you, he's called you to himself, he's predestined you. How did he do that? By the Son that the Son forgives you, pays the debt of your sin, His behalf on the cross. That's the power of God at work through Christ. And then the Spirit, we sang Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Spirit assures us 
It assures us of our inheritance. And so Paul says we ought to praise God for all these things. You know what the twin brother or sister to praise is? Prayer. And so that's where he goes when we get to verse 15. He's praying for this church. And your first thought there in verse 15 and 16, if you just look at that, those two verses, here's your thought. Here's Paul's thought. Thank God for the spiritual growth in others and encourage them in it. Encourage them in it. Where's Paul right now? He's in Rome. He's in house arrest in Rome. He doesn't know it, but he's likely not, we think, to leave. He's in house arrest, and he's writing to these churches. And as we've said before, he spent two and a half years, the longest he spent anywhere, he spent it at this church in Ephesus, ministering to them, teaching them for two and a half years, and then he leaves, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he gets arrested, and he's been there for another couple of years. So he's looking back, but it's interesting. You go, well, how does he know presently what's going on with this, these churches? He knows because Timothy and other messengers have brought him news. Do you see it there? For this reason, because I have heard of your faith, he knows their faith because he's been there, but he's been hearing from visitors who have come to him in house arrest. And so he's writing back to them and de- going to deliver this message to them. Think about how encouraging this would be if you got this. For this reason, because I've heard of your, what does he say? Faith. What is faith? Faith is not only their trust. If you look back at verse 13, they've heard the gospel. They believe the word of truth. It's salvation that they've believed by faith, but it's also their faithfulness, that they're continuing to live out that faith and belief in Ephesus. Do you remember Ephesus? Hard place to do life as a Christian. All kinds of messed up practices, materialism, hedonism, weird religious stuff going on. Everyone in Ephesus worshiped the God of Diana at the temple of Artemis, so much so that the They just dismissed Paul when he was preaching the gospel like everybody knows this isn't real. Everybody knows in Ephesus the true goddess of Diana rules. That's how much, how far away from this they are. So there's this small group of Gentile and Jewish Christians in Ephesus trying to live out their faith. And Paul says that they're doing it. Not only are they doing it with faith, and faithfulness, what else does he point out? You see it there? And your love toward all the saints. There's tangible expressions of care and love and sacrifice to one another, just like it should be in a church. Do you notice something? Do you notice what he doesn't say? Hey, as Paul, the apostle, I heard of your giftedness. That's awesome. I heard of your leadership. I heard you're the cool church that got a new logo. Do we get a new? Oh. I heard that everybody thinks you're totally rad. I don't even never use that word. You got walk-up music, you know, when the pastor comes up. I don't do that. No. That, oh, I heard about your new building. Heard about... How many people are coming to your church? There are marks of fruitfulness in some of that. You see it in the New Testament, but that's not what he's encouraging them. 
That's not what's primary for him as a leader. What are the measurables for Paul? The measurables of health and growth for Paul are faith and love. Internal things. Things that God is doing by his power, not external things. See, there's real spiritual growth here. And Paul is pumped about. He's encouraging them in. The power of God is at work in this church. And the measurable that to determine that is faith and faithfulness and love toward one another. Love this. Leaders. I'm going to talk to, as an elder, fellow elders, community group leaders, people who care about direction of our church, people who care about spiritual health in our church and growth in our church, what do we learn here? And we learn that centrally, we've got to have the right measurables that we're measuring our church with, faith and love, to name a few, that we keep those main things the main things, and you need to tell that to me sometimes. You need to remind me sometimes of that, and Brent, and Chris, and Wheeler, and Jim, as we think about direction and future, what are those measurables? Are they internal? Are they external? You know, we do this with kids, right? Like, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, but you can think of the things that your parents encouraged you in the most. And you can look back and go, my parents really cared about my education or my sports or my faith or different things. You can look back and go, and you can do that because they encouraged you in it, they challenged you in it, and it often sets some direction if you're honest and you look at it that way, it sets some direction in your life. Like, my mom and dad think this is important, so I've got to give attention to this. It's important in a church that leaders in a church give right direction. Faith, love, as measurables of our church's health and where we're at. But it's interesting here. You see faith and love here. This is about, he was, Paul's writing about 60 to 62 A.D. And about 32-ish years later, you see something else about this church. Because faith and love are things that have to continue to be expressed. They're, they're not just like, oh, you've got that, move on. You come to the book of Revelation, and I want to show you this passage. Revelation says of this church, the same church that's faithful in the Word, that has a school of theology, who's morally pure, who knows the difference between good and evil. I want you to see Jesus and what Jesus says about this church 32 years later. Revelation 2, and he says some things about seven churches. He probably commends this church more than any other seven. But here's what Jesus says about the church 32 years later. Same church. I know your works. This is beautiful. Your toil, your patient endurance. In Ephesus, remember, and how you can't bear with those who are evil. I mean, you care about holiness. You care about moral purity. But you, excuse me, middle of the verse, and you test those who call themselves apostles and are not, so you have spiritual doctrinal discernment and fidelity. 
and you found them to be false. Look at verse 3. I know you are enduring patiently, says it again, and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, meaning you're faithful. You continue to be committed to the work of the ministry. But, look at this. This is sad. But it can happen to them, to us. But I have this against you, Jesus to this church, that you have abandoned You've walked away. You've walked away from the love you had at first. They didn't go anywhere. They walked away from it. And so they've got their doctrine right. They've got purity and holiness right, but they don't have love, particularly for one another and Christ, right anymore. How easy is that to happen in your life, in my life, in the life of a church 30 years later, five years later, that's the warning that love can wane. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years. Where's your love? Is it still there? Great warning for us, even from this church. And think about it as a church, we're what, 11 years old. What is our church going to look like five years from now, 10 years from now, 20, 32 years from now? My prayer, my hope is that we're still majoring in the majors and not the minors. And there's a lot of minors that we can fall in a ditch out in right now in the world we live in and will be in the future, and there always have been. Where is our faith? Where is our love? We have to keep investing time and effort in it. I want you to look back at Ephesians there, um, those two verses. Um, there's, there's something else, and you could miss it really quick. So he's, he's praying for their spiritual growth, their faith, and their love, but they're reading this, or they're hearing it read in the assembly of the church. If you're a member of the Ephesian church, and you've gone through Membership Matters, because I know they had that back then, right? If you go through that, and you're in this church, you're receiving these words. It's a prayer, but you're receiving it as encouragement from Paul, the apostle Paul. I love this. There's, this is, there's encouragement in the Spirit. It's not just, hey, I see God working in these people's lives over here, but I'm not going to say anything about it. And how often do you look around, maybe even your, in your home, in your community group, in your life, in your church, and go, man, God's really at work in that person's life. And then you just don't take the time to go tell them. I do that all the time. Like, God is at work here. I need to say something to encourage them. Because we all need encouragement. All of us. Our children need encouragement. We need encouragement, whether we admit it or not. We need others around us, our community, encouraging us in the faith. So do you notice God at work in someone else's life? Do you thank him for it? Do you say something? People need to hear this. Do we stop? And here's the challenge. Do we stop long enough in our minds to get out, out of the real estate of our own minds and our own problems and our own issues to think long enough to go, I see God at work in that person's life? Are we so 
focused? Are we navel-gazing so much that we can't see out there? We can't see each other because we're so internally focused. What a challenge. So it looks like this. Think about this today. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with somebody in this room. What does it look like to say? Maybe this, this is just an example. I see God at work in you and be specific. A specific encouragement, a specific word to them to brighten their day. A real one, not a fake or faux encouragement, a real one. Requires a little thought. Or maybe you say it this way, I'm grateful to God for you because I see. And you fill in the blank. It goes a long way. I'm not good at this. I can think critically really well. Anybody there? (laughs) Think about all the problems really well. Glass half full. Glass half empty. Excuse me. See? Um, But I remember a couple of years ago, there's a pastor friend, and I didn't know him very well, didn't know him very well, we were acquaintances, and I was in a, in a restaurant, and I saw him, and I saw him with his wife, and I was going to go over there and say hello, but he was focused, like he was intently, fellas, focused on his wife, listening to his wife, smiling at his wife, talking back and forth, I'm like, I'm not interrupting this. It was just neat to see. And we got together for lunch like six months after that. I didn't send him a note. But we got together for lunch like six months after that. This is a lead pastor of a church. You would think a guy who gets a ton of encouragement as he walks, you know, stands at the door and people are like, wow, you're amazing. You know how that works. I'm not talking about just church and pastors in your own life. It's like there's this dry well sometimes, right? And I just said, man... I just want to tell you, we're about to leave lunch. I was like, and, it, and I remembered, which is rare. <sighs> but I'm like, hey, man, I, I just wanted to tell you, like six months ago I saw you at Torchies, and you were with your wife, and I was going to come up and say hello to you, but like you were focused. I could see the love you have for her on your face, and that dude just lit up. And he just... He began to weep. I didn't know other things going on in his life, but like the brother needed encouragement. And I just thought, I was like, hey, remember people. Need your encouragement. That's not a ploy to get you to say something nice to me, by the way. All right. I'm good. I'll take it, but I'm good. That wasn't in the script. Probably should have been. Thank God for the spiritual growth of people of the people of God, and encourage them. Let them know they need it. Second, look at verse 17 through 19. Your thought there is this. Ask God. Don't just thank God for spiritual growth and the power of God at work. Ask God for insight and illumination for his people. Ask God for insight and illumination from God's word and by his spirit for God's people, you, but also for other people. This is what Paul is doing here. Do you see it in there? Verse 17, he's asking God to give them more, or excuse me, spiritual wisdom, not more of it. They've been given it. Spiritual wisdom that the eyes of their heart, that's the central, like the CPU of a Christian, the the central place, 
Their eyes may be opened. They're believers in Jesus, so he's not talking about salvation, okay? He's talking about illumination and insight to the truth. Notice it. They already have. Notice some of these words in verse 17, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation, what? In the knowledge of him. They've already, they already know Jesus, okay? So, so it's, an, it's not something new or, some, I don't think, something more. What I think it is, it's awareness, more awareness. Keep looking. Look at some other words. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. They've already been enlightened and illumined that you may know what is, not what may be or what could be, but what already is. You already have hope to which you're called. Look at this phrase, the last phrase here. What are the riches? Not what could be and what will be. But you see the word are, A-R-E, are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then verse 19, what is, not what will be, not what was when you were saved, but this is important, and what is. It's there. Tap into it. Be aware. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power? It's present. As a believer in Christ, it's present. You have it toward us who believe. Do you see that? But there is an insight and an illumination to this. He's praying that they will see the spiritual reality that is not apparent in ordinary sight. I'm fascinated by communication with animals. I don't know why. Whales, dolphins, that's some amazing stuff. You ever studied any of this stuff? How they communicate, the depth at which they communicate? For the longest time, really until recently, scientists have looked at blue whales, and they've conclu- they concluded that blue whales are mute, that they can't communicate to one another. And this has been the, the, the stance for a long time long time, but recently they discovered some things about these blue whales. They discovered their voices actually had incredible power. Their voices resonate, though, at a frequency below the level that the human ear can hear and register. But scientists have found that these whales' voices are so powerful There's this low frequency, but they're so powerful that they can carry over thousands of miles. It's incredible. So take a blue whale who's at New York Harbor, and they can communicate a call all the way to the English port. That's incredible. These amazing creatures, this amazing, powerful voice is present but it's been undetected because our senses are too limited to register it. The beauty of God's Word is that He gives it to us. He gives us knowledge, but He calls us to have understanding and grow in understanding and grow in wisdom in it. So the operative question is, are you attuned? Are you attuned to the Word of God? Are you attuned to the Spirit of God in your life so you can hear Him? So you can see, so you can rightly interpret the world around you. And here's the, here's, here's the reality. It also takes time. 
I often have people come up to me. I've been a Christian for 25 years. I've been teaching and studying the Word for all that time. People are like, I want to know it like you know it. I want to know the Word like you know the Word. I'm like, it's going to take time. It's going to take work and study. It's going to take time on your knees in prayer. The Spirit will work. But there is a growth element to it that happens over time, like other things in your life. Are we in tune? Are we growing in that attunement? But you, you, you know this. You see this with Jesus' disciples, right? That there's a growth here. How many times did Jesus say, he who has an ear, let him hear? <laughs> How many times did he say, ye have little faith? He was training his disciples, and they didn't get spiritual reality very well. It's almost comical until, until you really take a deeper look at your own life. You, you laugh at the disciples because you're like, I know what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about spiritual, and they're, they're thinking physical. But you, see, you continue to see this through the Scriptures. You see it in the book of Acts, chapter 18, in Ephesus. So I'm giving you an example from the city of Ephesus. A guy named Apollos. New believer, converted Jewish guy from Alexandria, he comes to Ephesus, and he begins to preach. And the text says that he was a disciple of John the Baptist, and so he knows some stuff, but he doesn't know all of it. He doesn't know the apostles' teaching. He doesn't met with Jesus, so, so he knows some things. And so it's, the text says that he um, was eloquent. And it says that he was competent in the Scriptures to some degree. And then he instructed people in Ephesus of the way of the Lord. He boldly shares the truth. And some, there's a couple that's there, Priscilla and Aquila. You know this story? And what do Priscilla and Aquila do for young Apollos? He's got passion. He's eloquent. He knows some things. But they take him to the side after he had taught. And the text says, they explained the way of God more accurately. He had room to grow. He had more, he needed more insight and illumination. And then other leaders in the church, other people encouraged Apollos I think sometimes what we do with people who are young and they're passionate and they're zealous is we just shut them off. They're not usable. They don't know enough. But that's not what Apollos, that's not what Priscilla and Aquila did. It's also not what the other believers there did. They encouraged him. And then he goes to Achaia and he preaches the gospel and the truth of God more accurately and encouraged the church and he refuted the Jews. Used by God. And that's God's work, but notice who coached them. Notice who shepherded them. Notice who loved them and cared about them. And here's the thing. This is what Paul is doing here. He knows that the Ephesians are young believers. They don't have it all right. You go to chapter 4 and you say, like, they're still struggling with some pretty low bar things. But he encourages them. He asks God to help them. He doesn't cancel them. He doesn't say, oh, you can't help in women's ministry or men's ministry or in community groups. He helps them grow. And that's our call as well. Paul, the leader, is like a shepherding coach. He's helping young 
believers grow, and he's asking God to grow them. Do we do the same? Man, do we do the same not only in our church? Do we do the same with our kids? They're kids. They got a lot of work to do. They got a lot of room to grow. Do we train them up? Do we care for them? Do we instruct them, not just correct them? Think about that as it relates to your life, your family, your church. We want to be a people who ask God to help us grow. We want to be a people that ask God to help people be illumined to the Word of God. By the way, that's not new inspiration. There's the inspiration of Scripture that is the knowledge of God that is there for us. We're talking about illumination, that more insight, more wisdom in how to live, more understanding of what we already have. One more thing, but where's the power source? We talked about power sources. Where's the power source? Look at it, verse 19 through 23. This is beautiful. Where does the power come from for illumination, insight, spiritual growth, and faith and love? Here it is. 19 through 23. The great might that worked in Christ, verse 20. Where he raised him from the dead, he seated him in the right hand, so the resurrection power of Christ that the Father raised Christ with. Remember the New Testament, it says it's yours. It's the same hope that you have that you will be raised, that God will raise you one day and be with him for eternity, but it's also at work, Romans 8, 11 says. It's at work in you. It dwells in you. That resurrection power dwells in you. Paul wanted that to know God and the power of the resurrection. That's where the power, that's where the engine is to the Christian life. It's a resurrection of Christ. Not only that, look at it. Not only the resurrection, but the enthronement. The enthronement and authority given to Jesus who sits at the right hand of God. And then you see that he is Lord over all. He's supreme. He reigns. And notice the realms that he reigns in. All of them. All of them. And specifically, specifically he points out the rule and authority and power and dominion. All those phrases you're going to see again in, in Ephesians 6. You see them in other places in Scripture too. And you know what they refer to? The demonic realm. That Jesus is not only supreme here, but he's supreme in the spiritual realms. He is supreme over Satan and his demons who are at work. The prince of the power of the air who roams around like a lion seeking people to devour. Jesus is supreme over that as well. And this is important for the people in Ephesus to know because their background is weird, spiritual, occultic powers in the spiritual realm. They're into that. The city of Ephesus is full of cult, spiritual realm, kind of worship and power. And so Paul, who knows his audience, is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is even supreme over all of that. Over all the spiritual realms, he's supreme. And then you see he's put all those realms under his feet. 
that he is also the head of the church, that he's laid his life down for the church. He's the head pastor. I'm not the head pastor. The elders aren't the leaders of the church. Ultimately, we are under shepherds, First Peter says. He's the lead pastor. He's the head of the church. We submit to him. And here you're going, well, that's great for Jesus, but how does that affect my life? Look at the scriptures here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56 through 58. The sting, and and this whole chapter is about the resurrection. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the resurrection of Christ, death and resurrection of Christ through our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's victory over sin and victory over death. Therefore, in view of that, guess what for our own lives? My beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our life has meaning because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we have power to live this life out. And then Philippians. You need to see this because sometimes you do ask the question or have the thought, where's God at work? Like, where's God at work in my life? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that brought you from death to life, is still at work in your life through the Spirit of God. Philippians 2 says it this way, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Therefore, God has what? Highly exalted him, same as the passage we're in, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, everywhere. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Is that the way you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus as king? Do you know Jesus as Lord? There is power in the name and work of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, there's no power. There's no power for you to change. There's no power for you to know God and have relationship with God and have your sins forgiven. There's no power. You don't have it. The world, I promise you, doesn't have it. No religious experience has it. It's only Jesus. How do you know him? So the power of God is at work to save. It's also at work to sanctify you in your life right now. Because I don't think God is interested in us using his his power for a spiritual high. I I don't think that's what, what God's power is for. I think it's for to change us. And when I think about something miraculous, I'm just going to start with the change in my own life that he's wrought. And salvation, as well as the fruit of the Spirit, my family would say amen when he's actually kind, when he's actually demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. That's an amazing thing in our lives. Do we see it that way? So be honest. Internal struggle. Maybe it's external. Where are you at? Do you believe that God is working in your life? Do you believe it? Do you believe it or do you just don't see it? You don't feel it. And sometimes you don't. Can I tell you some of the reasons why? 
I think some of the reasons why are the external world, because we're so obsessed and focused on material things. We're kind of obsessed as well on our own power and our own ability to deal with our own problems until we can't. <laughs> and so we live in the world around us, and then, and then our own pride. I've got this. I will tell you, God, if I need you, but functionally, I've got this. And we don't. We're blinded by our own sense of power. And so we often don't tap into the power that God gives us through his spirit. We often treat it like the resources in our home when we pull up the tab or push the button and things just come out. We take it for granted until we can't. I've been told that there's a therapy, a therapy that's used to help autistic children. There's lots of therapies used for autistic children, but there's a, one in particular that's used. And what, what doctors and people have come up with is this, basically whether the kid needs glasses or not, to put glasses on them and take the bottom section, the bottom half of those glasses and cloud them. And the top is clear so they can see but not down. And the reason that they use this therapy is because often, not always, but often autistic children become completely focused on one little dimension of their life, one little thing, and they create habitual activities around that one dimension that they develop and so this autistic child focuses on singular things and it becomes the child's entire world. That's all they can see. That's all they can focus on. So the glasses prevent them from seeing that one little thing that they're focused on and they have to look up. And they have to see all the other things in their lives and it helps them. Can I ask you this morning, what set of lens are you looking out? Are you looking at like the one dimension of your life, all the stuff in your life? Are you only looking at that? Are you looking up? Are you looking up to see the immeasurable power and greatness of God's power at work in your life, in the life of others. Your takeaway this morning is simply this. Look up and see God's immeasurable power at work. See, when we look up, when we look up, we can see what God is doing in other people's lives. You can see the spiritual growth that God is rotting in other people, which is encouraging to us too, right? That God is at work in our world. Look up and not only see, but encourage that in them. Look up and see that God wants to give you insight and wisdom into his truth, that you might walk with him and know him better. Look up and see 
the true power to live the Christian life is the resurrection power of Jesus who brings you from death to life and by his spirit gives you power to live this Christian life out. But you've got to look up. You can't continue to look down at the one dimension of life, your own dimension of life. You've got to look up and see it for what it is. Let me pray.